All right, let's try that again, Cole. How has your week been? Um, well, I mean, we might as well just start all the way over. Like, you don't... No, that's fine. Uh, welcome to another edition of Chicago Sports HQ Chatter. Joined, as always, with Cole Little. This is Dustin Reese. And, Cole, how has your week, and how has your weekend been going? It's been great. Uh, how's yours been? Uh, very good. Suns start school tomorrow, so we're kind of on our last day of do what you want outside before uh, school starts. Oh, wow. Cool. How was the uh, football game? On Friday? Yeah. That wasn't terrible. Um, got lightninged out with about two minutes left in the game, and then I had the pri- privilege of driving home in a tornado, so that was always a fun time. Oh, my goodness. Well, happy you made it. <laughs> yeah, uh, we actually checked the radar at halftime, and there was no rain anywhere to be found. And then 40 minutes later, the wind started picking up, and then about 20 minutes later, we had lightning and storms. Wow. Crazy. We did a good job on the broadcast. Thanks. Yeah. And then we'll, we'll start things off today with the – Crosstown Classic, as the 2021 version of that series comes to an end with the White Sox taking five of six from the Cubs this year, which for anybody that has followed the Cubs this year, that shouldn't come as a surprise when you look at the direction the White Sox are going in and the direction the Cubs are going in. I do got to give the Cubs a ton of credit for the way they played against the White Sox this weekend, especially they knocked out the White Sox best starting pitcher this year, Lance Lynn, in relatively easy fashion, knocking him off in game two, seven to nothing before Kyle Hendricks got lit up on Sunday, 13 to one. But even in that first game on Friday, the White Sox won, but it was a 17 to 13 game. And the Cubs pretty much played right with the White Sox. The first two games of those series take away that Sunday beat down. White Sox still scored 30 games over, or 30 runs over the weekend, which was a franchise record for the most runs scored ever against the Chicago Cubs in any given series between the two. And that goes back to the World Series days. And even when they played seven games, they haven't scored that many runs. And the most remarkable part about that is those 30 runs, because they were shut out in game two. Patrick Wisdom had an amazing series all week, and he had four home runs in in the first two games. He's now one away from tying Chris Bryant's rookie record. Rafael Ortega hit a grand slam. Alec Mills had a phenomenal outing on Saturday. Just your thoughts on what you saw from the final series. Obviously, obviously the results are probably what you would expect, but just thoughts on everything that you saw kind of transpire this weekend. Yeah, I mean, you know, went about as expected, except for Lance Lynn getting shellacked on Saturday. Um, Yeah, and the White Sox getting blanked in that one. Uh, Of course, Alec Mills pitching a gem there. But, you know, I mean, Friday's game pretty much summed it up. Cubs jump out to a 6-0 lead and then, you know, just get pounded the rest of the game. Uh, you know, Kimbrell gave up a couple home runs in the ninth to make it more respectable for the Cubs. We had 17-13 loss for the Cubs after leading 6 nothing. That's pretty embarrassing uh, for them. But, you know, good comeback win for the White Sox there. And then obviously they win in blowout fashion to close it out. But the Cubs avoided getting swept in this year's Crosstown Classic. Uh, but lost five out of six. So, yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, White Sox a much better team. And, um, yeah, I mean, the Cubs, you know, now this this month of August has been just putrid for the Cubs is about to come to an end. Um, yeah, and for the White Sox, you know, Dallas Keuchel saw some struggles from him, and he's made some comments about, what he'll need to do to make the postseason roster, which, you know, I know we've talked about before. He realizes he has to step up. And, uh, 
yeah, I mean, you know, pretty um, shocking to see Lynn struggle like he did. But, you know, then on the flip side, um, Hendricks really struggled the next day, so which was pretty surprising. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you know, the White Sox um, still sitting pretty in the AL Central and, um, you know, the, the Cubs at this point are just going to kind of probably count down the days until the season is over. And I, the ironic thing about this whole Cubs season is they had the brutal June where everyone figured that was going to be the most difficult part of their schedule when they lost the 11 games in a row and then kind of went into their season-ending tailspin after that. They had a fairly decent July up until, obviously, the trade deadline and when they started to unload everybody. And then the month of August has just been brutal for them. But now if you look at their strength of schedule in the month of September, they have the second easiest schedule of any team in baseball in the month of September. And I'm not going to sit here and say they're going to rip off a bunch of wins and finish at 500 because for that to happen, they would have to pretty much go like 20-7, and seven, I believe, or no, not even even better than that. They'd have to go like 22 and six in the month of September practically to finish 500. But looking at their schedule in the month of September, this team does have the potential to at least finish the season with a much more respectable record and maybe win 75, 76 games. Obviously tomorrow you're going to have September call-ups. And I, that's another thing that I wanted to touch base with you on right now too. In regards to September call-ups, I think the Cubs hold out Wilson Contreras one more day just so they can add him to the roster tomorrow and then not have to worry about a corresponding roster move with it. But there's going to be a lot of players that are going to get called up within the next couple weeks, whether it's from AA, whether it's from AAA, just to get on this September call side of things. It's going to be interesting to see how David Ross handles some of these positions, especially with guys like Ian Happ and Jason Hayward, who – had primarily been the starting corner outfielders the second half of the season. How much playing time are they going to get towards the rest of the season? And is it pretty much going to be like we're going to go with all September call-up guys for the final two weeks of the season to kind of see what we got at this point? Yeah, I'm, I'm a little – first of all, I'm a little surprised to hear the Cubs have the second – that's considered the second easiest schedule. Yeah, I, I'm a, I think I'll see if I can pull it up. I think I found it on Bleacher Report this morning that the Cubs have the second easiest schedule in terms of winning percentage the rest of the way. Well, I guess. I mean, uh, obviously I'll take your word for it, but I was sort of thinking it was maybe more difficult than August because, you know, I mean, obviously you still have, I think, seven games against the Pirates who are terrible and f the four games against the – Twins, um, who are also bad. But other than that, you know, Phillies, Reds, several games against the Cardinals, Brewers, Giants. Um, they got some pretty tough series, you know. And, I mean, they had a chance to get the win against teams like the Marlins and the Royals. And, you know. Yeah, as, as a baseballreference.com, the Reds have the easiest remaining schedule in the majors, followed by the Cubs and the Royals. Wow. Well, I still don't really have well, I, don't know what, I don't know what these other teams are facing in September unless a lot of these other teams have a ton of playoff teams left. Or obviously, if you're the Diamondbacks and the Rockies, you're going to have the Giants, Dodgers, and Padres in September. So that's really going to hurt your September schedule. But, yeah, the Cubs do have some teams that are competing for the playoffs. But you look at the rest of the Major League Baseball landscape, you got to think that a lot of these other teams now are starting to get to the – teeth yeah. of their division where the Cubs may have gotten through most of that already. Yeah. I mean, you know, this next um, six-game stretch might be kind of the last hurrah for the Cubs, the last chance for them to string together some wins, you know, two, uh, at two games at the Twins and then the four-game set at home against the Pirates. And then after that, you know, it could be rough the rest of the way. But – yeah, I mean, the September call-ups, you know, one thing I've been thinking about is, I remember, um, it's it's not like it used to be where you can uh, call up a whole bunch of guys. The rosters will only expand to 28. Um, but we'll still probably see, 
you know, several different new faces, um, you know, Brennan Davis and, and potentially some other big names who will get called up uh, and have a chance to make an impact for the Cubs. And yeah, I expect to see plenty of roster moves over the course of September for the Cubs, you know, this, this call ups and guys getting sent down and seeing some new faces and uh, yeah, should be exciting for sure to just, you know, kind of get a look at what the future has in store for the Cubs. Um, you know, it's, it's, a, I guess it's a shame. I mean, it, it's, it's definitely a shame that, you know, you have Nico Horner and Albert Alzali who are hurt right now to the young guys, obviously you've seen them play plenty, but, um, you know, it would be good to, to see them also get a chance to play here down the stretch since they're potentially, integral pieces of the Cubs future. Uh, but yeah, should still probably expect to see some young talent and, um, you know, it's, it's pretty, pretty exciting. And yeah, for the Cubs at this point, I mean, you know, I guess maybe they should shoot for getting to 70 wins. Maybe that's a good benchmark. Um, but you know, it, it's, it's going to be, uh, I think, I mean, with the exception of those, um, 11 games, 11 combined games against the Pirates and Twins. Um, there are other, what, 19 games left will be against teams competing for playoff spots. So um, that will be tough. And the whole Brennan Davis situation, I think it's going to be a lot trickier at this point to call him up, mainly because the Tennessee Smokies are dealing with a – Massive COVID situation within the organization. They had four of their games with the Chattanooga Lookouts or basically canceled. They're not even going to be made up with Chattanooga last week due to COVID, and they had to do contract tracing. Now uh, news about 20 minutes ago, two more games this week against Rocket City. So tomorrow and or tonight and Wednesday's contest with Rocket City have now been canceled and will not be made up. You got to wonder if. They haven't really listed anybody who is tested positive. They haven't really listed anybody in terms of who's been having to do the close contact contact tracing and all that. But you got to wonder if the Cubs are going to stay away stay away from a guy like Brendan Davis, knowing that the Tennessee organization just went through this whole COVID issue right now. And if you bring up a guy like Davis or anybody else from Double A, you're risking that translating into your major league clubhouse. Yeah, that's true. Um, you know, I mean, Jed Hoyer has a lot that he has to figure out in terms of how he wants to, you know, manage the roster down the stretch because obviously everything from this point on is is preparing for next season and, you know, get it, giving guys playing opportunities um, and a chance to, you know, make an impact and show what they're capable of and, Obviously still have, you know, Patrick Wisdom who has been hitting lots of homers lately. So it'll be interesting to see how he does down the stretch and you know, in the rookie of the year race and um, Rafael Ortega, another guy who could potentially still be with the Cubs next year. And, you know, Ian Happ hit the ball pretty well, got some big hits in that Rocky series. The Cubs put two out of three in um, at home and, yeah, I mean, you got some other guys who, you know, will be interesting to watch and could potentially make a splash for the Cubs. But, um, you know, other than that, I think a lot will center around younger guys getting new opportunities. Yeah, and uh, I want to talk about some of those guys getting new opportunities really quick. Um, Alfonso Rivas made his major league debut on Sunday against the White Sox and came away with, Two hits and three plate appearances. He's somebody that the Athletics drafted in 2018 in the fourth round. Cubs acquired him in 2020 in part of the Tony Kemp deal. And he was a top 20 prospect in the Oakland system for a while. And then when the Cubs originally acquired him, he was, I think, 27th or 28th on their prospect list before all the new signings and all the new trades have kind of switched that prospect list up a whole bunch. So Rebus was always a highly regarded prospect. 
he's not your typical like power hitting first baseman. He's a guy that likes to hit for a high average. He's kind of a contact hitter and reminds people grace minus the batting average. But we've already seen what Frank Schwindel and Patrick Wisdom have done. Would you want to be on board with a Schwindel and Rivas platoon the rest of the year at first base to kind of give the look, kind of give the Cubs a look at what they could have at at first base in like a short term future? Yeah, I'd be on board with that. You know, and and Schwindel has been obviously a pleasant surprise in terms of how quickly he's. Uh, you know, made a splash for the Cubs. I mean, it was one of the few bright spots for the team this month. And, uh, yeah, would lo- definitely like to see him continue to play. But, you know, Rivas also has a chance of of making an impact for this club in the future. So, yeah, I would like for to see both of them uh, you know, get, get some good playing time. Um, yeah, and, I mean, obviously at this point, like, it doesn't. You know, this this is a good time to play a variety of different lineups. Uh, you know, it makes sense at this point since the Cubs are out of contention. And then obviously just looking forward to next season. So, yeah, I'd like to see, you know, Ross mix it up in terms of the lineups he uses and, and get, you know, a lot of the, the young, fresh faces an opportunity to play. And, um, yeah, I mean, you know, we'll be – Cool to see Rivas get more playing time uh, along with Schwindel, you know, two guys who used to be in the uh, athletics system together, part of the athletics franchise, that is, uh, before becoming Cubs. So, yeah, we'll be we'll be cool to see uh, what Rivas can do. And, you know, Hermosillo is another guy who obviously we talked about before who recently got called up and – He's gotten some pretty big hits, and uh, I've liked what I've seen from him. Made some, you know, good defensive plays as well. So he's another one to keep an eye on. Yeah, and I mean, like you said, the September rosters can only expand up to 28 now, as opposed to the old 40. So there's not going to be like 10 guys coming up tomorrow, and then like another five later in the year. You might see like two players come up tomorrow. And then a few days later, you might see two more players come up tomorrow if the Cubs decide to give other players a chance. But I do expect Greg Dykeman to be one of those players coming up for sure. He had a small taste with the Cubs about two or three weeks ago when Jason Hayward was battling an injury. And then in terms of pitchers, obviously Keegan Thompson and Justin Steele would have been the top picks early in the season, but they're obviously up and starting right now, so you can kind of cross them off the list. The only pitcher that really makes sense at this point that the Cubs would bring up is Dylan Maples, and that's mainly because he's on a major league rehab assignment with Iowa right now, and I believe his rehab assignment ends on Thursday. So by Thursday, they have to call him up. Otherwise, they need to release him or figure out what to do with him. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, it will be nice to see Dykeman get another opportunity. You know, like you said, he had a chance to fill in for Payward when he was hurt. Um, yeah, I mean, there are a lot of different players who will have a chance to make a splash and make a statement uh, for the Cubs. You know, now on the flip side for the White Sox, obviously at this point it's just full steam ahead uh, on the path to the World Series. World Series are bust for them. Um, obviously, as we saw in the, you know, in both series against the Cubs, both additions both series of the crosstown classic this year they have plenty of firepower in that lineup and you know Elo Jimenez continues to hit the ball well Louise Robert has settled in now Yasmani Grandal is back from injury you know he hit uh he hit some home runs over the weekend and his return from injury and and really didn't take long to make an impact back in the lineup um yeah, I mean, the, you know, the, the White Sox definitely have the firepower. Uh, I guess the big question is is just, you know, the, how the pitching can hold up, um, whether starting pitching or the bullpen, really both. Uh, you know, we saw Cease, obviously, you know, along with Jimenez, a former Cubs prospect, part of the Quintana trade. We saw Dylan Cease pitch well 
in the series finale, um, you know, and he's really come along this year and settled in as a reliable starter for the White Sox. And yeah, I mean, you know, they're just a power hitting slugging team that has a really uh, formidable batting order. And, you know, it, for them, I mean, at this point, it's all about just staying healthy and improving some of the pitching hiccups, uh, resolving those issues, and just looking forward to the postseason beginning. Yeah, and it's just it's very painful. I know for Cubs fans, it's very painful to watch the White Sox play the Cubs and just see right. the damage that Eloy Jimenez does against Chicago. It seems like whenever the Cubs play the White Sox, Jimenez decides to rub it in the Cubs' face, basically saying, you never should have got rid of me. This is what you could have had. And then Cease goes and strikes out 21 batters in his two starts against the Cubs this year. And those were the guys they traded away for Jose Quintana. And now, look, four years later, Quintana is not only is not even in Chicago anymore, and you have these two players turning into the players that the Cubs thought they would. Yeah, it's tough. I mean, we've talked before about how that was arguably the worst trade that uh, you know, the worst decision that, that Epstein made while he was with the Cubs. Uh, you know, it certainly didn't pan out in the long term. I mean, Quintana had, you know, his spurts of brilliance, but really wasn't ever consistently great for the Cubs. And, you know, and also hasn't has, has struggled, uh, you know, this year as well now that he's – not a cub and is instead um he, he let's see now he's with he's part of the giants organization yeah, yeah, struggled with the, yeah struggled with the angels um and then was waived and i guess he just got claimed yesterday by the giants so yeah his reunion with joe madden with the angels didn't work out um and yeah meanwhile you know jimenez and and cease while Quintana's career is kind of hanging in the balance, they figure to be, um, you know, staples of the White Sox for years to come. Yeah, and I last question I had before we switch tops this year, it's, it goes back to the September call-ups, and I forgot. As I said, Dylan Maples will be the most likely pitcher to come up, but I actually forgot about Adbert Elzelay, who made a rehab start last week, and the plan is to have him – I think start either tonight or tomorrow for Iowa and then reassess his situation. Yeah. If he's healthy, he's going to be called back up. The question is, what do they do with him? Do they stick him in the bullpen to try to conserve his arm, knowing that he has had an, in, an injury history in the minor leagues before and he is not a guy that has thrown more than 130 innings at any point in his career yet? Or do they call him back up? and put him in the starting rotation and basically have Hendrick, Neil Thompson, and Elzolai as your five, your primary five starters. Obviously, Davies is still in the rotation, but take Davies out of the equation. Those five guys are probably going to be your starting rotation going into 2022. Yeah, that's a question, you know, and also what to do with Nico Horner. Uh, you know, he's still looking to work back from an oblique injury and, we saw him get hurt in a recent rehab appearance, leave in the middle of an at-bat. Uh, so, yeah, I, you know, I expect the Cubs to be patient with both of those guys and not rush them back, especially considering, like, you know, we've already seen what they can do and they both figure to be important pieces for the Cubs next year, you know, barring some major move such as the Cubs acquiring – uh, Cubs bringing aboard Trevor Story, signing him in the offseason or something like that. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, that that's a question, what to do with them. You know, you mentioned Contreras, who will probably be called up as early as tomorrow, I guess, or on Wednesday, that is. And, yeah, we saw David Bodie suffer an ankle injury. And, uh, you know. Have they, have they even replaced Bodie yet? Uh, yeah, uh, I think so. I know he got put on the IL. Was Rivas basically the replacement for Bodie? Yeah, I think so. Okay, because I was going to say, if they didn't replace Bodie yet, then Contreras would just be added to the roster, and then they would still have up, uh, two other spots to do. But, yeah, if Rivas was added, 
Contreras is mostly likely going to take the one spot then and then leaves one more spot. Yeah, I'm looking now. Maybe they didn't replace him yet. So, yeah, of course, freak ankle injury batting practice and uh, put him on the I.L. And that same day they called up um, Efros and Rivas, designated uh, Messinger and Jewel for assignment. And I'm not seeing him looking at Yeah, then I don't think Bodie has been replaced yet. Also, that's – uh, Sergio Alcantara suffered an ankle injury, yep. found a ball off his foot, a, a foot ankle issue there. So, yeah, another infielder dealing with an injury because um, he got hurt over the weekend. But, yeah, so different injury questions for the Cubs. And, you know, obviously with the rosters expanding, um, yeah, the room to work there in terms of what, what Hoyer wants to do. And replacing guys, bringing guys back. Um, but, yeah, I mean, you know, roster management is going to be a, a key point of emphasis for the Cubs the rest of the way. And now we'll switch over to the things where the Bears responded from their tough loss against the Buffalo Bills to beat a very good Tennessee Titans team 27-24 in their final preseason game. Obviously. The Titans were dealing with some COVID issues of their own throughout the week and led to some of the players that were expected to play not playing. Justin Fields finally got his first start of the preseason. Didn't look as good, I think, as some people expected him to. Did what he needed. Actually played very well in the second half and may have had the best half of football by a Bears quarterback this preseason, oddly enough, which now it seems like the Bears are considering trading Nick Foles, but they're going to kind of hear his point of view and kind of see where he wants to go as opposed to where they feel like it. But then I kind of want to touch base on the tight end situation right now with Chicago before I get your thoughts on the had a guy like Jesper Horstead just come with five catches 104 yards and three touchdowns against Tennessee last week. And then you have Jimmy Graham and Cole Komet, who are going to be the team's top two tight ends when the season opens. They did next to nothing in the preseason. So now the question is, who do you think gets that third tight end spot? Do you give it to Horstead coming off the game that he had against Tennessee? Or do you give it to a guy like Jesse James, who has a ton of NFL experience? He was a starter with the Steelers and the Lions for a couple of years. And then out of that question, just what were your thoughts on the Bears' preseason as a whole this year? Yeah, so Portstead with the three touchdowns, that was really impressive. And, you know, as we speak, I mean, rosters are getting cut down. Um, the Bears actually just released Riley Ridley um, you know, here just a little while ago. So, yeah, um, it's going to be hard to get rid of Horstead after that performance. But, you know, Jesse James made some big catches too. So, you know, the Bears have plenty of depth. We've talked about it at, at the pass catching positions, at both wide receiver and tight end. Um, so we've seen some tough roster moves. You know, we saw him move on from Javon Wims uh, recently and, and now Riley Ridley. So, yeah, it's interesting, but it's it's gonna be it's gonna be um, tough to move on from Horsehead. I think after that amazing performance um, with the three touchdowns, and yeah, I mean as far as the Bears win over the Titans, I mean obviously you know a lot of starters not playing in that game. Um, you know, not not a whole lot to talk about as far as Fields is concerned outside of that last drive. I guess that was his. Uh, skill set is, is, you know, big success story of the preseason was leading the Bears on these impactful drives right before halftime, or he at least did it. And in two of the games, uh, it's really helped turn things around. Um, and yeah, did so against the Titans and made a great pass, found Horstead in the right side of the end zone. And then, like you said, Foles. Play pretty well and 
teamed up with Horstead on several occasions, including two touchdowns. And, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, pretty good performance there by the Bears um, and able to come away with a win. You know, kind of scary right off the bat with Fields getting sacked on the very first offensive series, but that proved to be the only sack allowed by the Bears all night. You know, we saw Jason Peters and Jermaine Fetty uh, get some playing time, their first action of the preseason for the Bears. So, you know, that's going to be a big question as we move into the regular season. You know, who's less mobile than Fields. Um, you know, and of course, Dalton is, will be the big question of how the offensive line will fare um, and will it be improved from last season. Um, yeah, and I mean, you know, will there be enough pass protection to give Dalton time enough, enough time in the pocket to actually, uh, you know, make some good throws and, and settle in as a starter for this team? But, yeah, I mean, you know, good win for the Bears to close out the preseason and, um, you know, saw them get some some turnovers, including a, an interception return for touchdown for a touchdown that proved to be the um, is the first touchdown allowed by the Titans all preseason. So, yeah, and Trey Roberson returning that pick 27 yards to the house. Also saw Trevathan intercept a pass, Danny Trevathan. So, yeah, good way to close out the preseason for the Bears. And now they'll, you know, work on trimming down the roster and getting ready for week one against the Rams. And with – with Riley Ridley getting cut, obviously that opens the door for another wide receiver to make the team because usually teams carry five or six wide receivers, and both of us feel that Rodney Adams did enough. Yeah, mm-hmm. Rodney Adams did enough this preseason to make the team. But another player that was actually released the other day, I think it was by the Carolina Panthers, fit in Chicago if the Bears wanted to bring him in and give him a chance, and that's – Rashard Perriman, who was a very reliable receiver with Tampa Bay for a few years, went to the Jets and had a couple of good seasons with Sam Darnold and then really didn't do much with Carolina. But I think Perriman would be a very nice complimentary piece to the Bears' offense. He kind of plays similar to what Goodwin plays. He just has a bit more size, and I think he can do a little bit more than what Goodwin does. And sometimes with a fresh start, that's all a player needs to kind of show what teams have been missing. And I think Perriman would fit well with the Bears if they wanted to bring him in and give him a chance. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, there's still some upside there with him. Um, and I'll have to figure how much – have to wonder how much he has left in the tank of whoever really, you know, hit his stride and, and reach his full potential. But, yeah, he's he's a guy the Bears could certainly look to bring in. Um, but yeah, I, th- I agree with you. I think you know Rodney Adams definitely did enough, uh, you know, in, in the first two games of the preseason to earn a spot on the team. So, and I think the writing on the is on the wall for him to make the team in the wake of Wims and Ridley getting let go. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I you know we'll look forward to seeing what he can do in the regular season, assuming he makes the team. Uh, you know, also have to wonder what the Bears will do with Nick Foles. I mean, you know, we, he's been mentioned in trade rumors. The latest report is that the Bears won't won't consider trading him to, you know, any team that he doesn't want to go to just out of respect for him. But, you know, have to wonder if the Colts will maybe look at him depending on Carson Wentz injury status heading into week one. Um you know, and there's some other teams who could potentially look to acquire Foles. But, yeah, he, he could maybe be on the move here before the regular season begins. Um, but, you know, if not, the Bears will have certainly have plenty of, of good quarterback depth. Um, so that will be beneficial for them as, we, as they navigate the regular season, especially with the young – Quarterback and, and Justin Fields, who can learn, learn, be able, you know, who will be able to learn from both Dalton and, and Bowles. And the and the big news this morning doesn't, I shouldn't say it doesn't, but 
the big news of the day does not officially affect the Bears, but in a way it kind of does, and that's the New England Patriots releasing Cam Newton, basically giving Mac Jones a starting job without any questions at this point. Dallas is said to be looking at Cam Newton now as a backup for Dak Prescott, depending on what Newton has left in the tank once he gets through this COVID stuff that he's been dealing with. But the Mac Jones situation was a very similar situation of the of Dalton in fields where Newton was the quarterback with New England last year, and the team went 8-8. Eight and eight. He didn't play well, but the way New England's offense was designed last year wasn't supposed to make Newton play well because they really didn't have much talent or weapons around him. And even though they drafted Mac Jones in the first round this year, Newton was supposed to be the team's starting quarterback no matter what happened. Same thing with Dalton. The Bears go and sign Andy Dalton. They draft Justin Fields. Matt Nagy's been basically consistently saying that Dalton is your starter, Dalton is your starter, Dalton is your starter. At some point, you have to take into the performance itself in the preseason and weigh your options. And obviously, New England felt that Mac Jones played better than Newton during the preseason, which allowed them to make the decision they made. And if you ask 95% of Bears fans in the country, they're going to say that Fields played better than Andy Dalton and that Fields should be starting over Dalton. Right, yeah. I mean, you know, can imagine that this move, uh, you know, this decision to start Dalton isn't going over too well with a sizable chunk of the Bears fan base. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, you know, it, it seems like the writing was on the wall pretty much. It was in the cards for Dalton to start the whole way. I mean, based on the comments made throughout the offseason by, you know, Ryan Pace, by Matt Nagy, by – a variety of people involved with the Bears organization about Dalton's, you know, presence there as the starting quarterback and and Justin Fields' mentor. Um, you know, it seems like no matter what happened, I mean, unless there was there were you know injury, there was an injury concern to Dalton, or if he was you know absolutely atrocious in the preseason or training camp or whatever, that uh, he was going to be the starter heading into the regular season and. You know, now the question is, what will it take um, if he does struggle? If Dalton does struggle, what will it take for Fields to be named the starter? Because obviously a big storyline of last year was quarterback management. And the Bears nearly missed, you know, they snuck into the playoffs, but nearly missed the playoffs. And, you know, there was speculation that maybe the quarterback management was a big reason why, you know, Maybe they people speculate that Nagy took too long to switch to Foles and then maybe took too long to switch back to Trubisky. Um, so, you know, that'll be – and, of course, Nagy's a former quarterback. So the onus will be on him this season to really manage the quarterback situation well. And, you know, especially – I mean, heck, if, if Foles is, is still in place, you know, that'll give the team three – capable starting quarterbacks um so really no excuse there for letting uh shoddy quarterback play mar this season uh you know the the bears will be looking to you know obviously the bears ownership and the front office will be looking for improved more consistent quarterback play and you know hopefully for the quarterback's sake more improved um offensive line play as well so yeah i mean quarterback management could make or break the season and could also determine Nagy's job status you know at the end of the season and sticking with football we had college football got underway last week and while most teams in the country will not play until this weekend you did have the fighting Illini of illinois opened their season last week in a Big Ten matchup with Nebraska. Uh, Scott Frost is the head coach of Nebraska who's considered to be on the hot seat this year. Among all the coaches that are talked about being on the hot seat, he's the one that people believe is going to be the first one fired if things go south. And Illinois picked up a very nice 30-22 to win at home in the Brett Bielema era. 
Arthur Sitkowski, the sophomore quarterback, was very good, actually. He was 12 of 15 passing for 124 yards and two scores. So he, it's not like he was throwing for a ton of yards. He was just making the throws that you needed him to make. The defense played as bad as Bielema was at the University of Arkansas. He was a great coach when he was with Wisconsin. And being that he's back with being that he's at Illinois now, he's back in the Big Ten. He's back in a conference that he has a with. It's not going to be surprising to me at all to see Illinois do better than what most people think they will, just because you have a coach that had a ton of success in the Big Ten before, and now he's going back to an area that he did very well when it came to recruiting with the Badgers, also. Yeah, he's back to his old stomping grounds and, you know, back in Big Ten play, back in the Big Ten, like you said, playing a style of football he's more accustomed to. And, yeah, I mean, good to start off with a win. You know, of course, Brandon Peters left the game uh, with a shoulder injury after getting sacked early on. And uh, Sikowski, like you said, filled in very well, um, especially considering the circumstances of him getting thrust into the game. And, you know, it was a slow start. It was, you know, it's week zero. I mean, it was, and it was understandably kind of a slow start for both teams. Really like old school football was, you know, nine to two at one point in the first half, but things picked up and, you know, Illinois able to um, pull away and, you know, had some big special teams plays and, you know, good to start off with a win there. And, um, you know, as they navigate this first season with Bielema and, and to win 30, 20, 30 to 22 at home. And uh, obviously Nebraska, you know, has, has been dealing with some uh, potential, you know, controversy. They're really not potential controversy and NCAA investigation regarding, um, you know, con- controversy there with practicing, uh, maybe breaking regulations and, like you said, I mean, Scott Frost is very much on the hot seat. You know, if Nebraska doesn't have a pretty good season, he's, I think it's fair to say, he'll certainly get fired. Uh, would have maybe already gotten fired if he, you know, if not for the fact that he was obviously a great quarterback for Nebraska back in the day and means a lot to the program. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you know, on the flip side for Illinois, looking to bounce back after. A disappointing season last year. Uh, good for them to start off with a win. Yeah, and I don't like you were saying. Nebraska is going through the the controversy with what you were talking about, and now you add this to a loss against an Illinois team that many experts predict to be terrible in the Big Ten this year. Scott Frost could not have asked for a worse first week of the college football season, and they don't have really an easy route the next couple of weeks because I do believe they have a ranked opponent next week or the week after that. And if Nebraska doesn't turn it around within the first month of the season and really when they start getting into the bulk of Big Ten play, it's not going to shock me at all to see him gone sooner rather than later. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I can imagine he's on pretty thin ice, you know, especially if this NCAA investigation uncovers – a variety of different infractions. Um, yeah, if they get off to a shaky start, we certainly – it certainly wouldn't be too much of a surprise to see Frost go ahead and get axed and see an interim coach uh, take the helm in Lincoln. Then the only other Illinois football team that was in action this weekend was the Eastern Illinois Panthers as they traveled to Indiana State to take on the Sycamores. Uh, Eastern Illinois dropped a tight 26-21 contest. Otto Coons threw for 253 yards and a pair of touchdowns. Uh, The running game really didn't do much for Eastern Illinois, but you had Tyler Ringwood with five catches for 116 yards. So the passing game certainly worked for Eastern Illinois. And I know last year we talked a lot about the FCS just mainly because they were the focal point of the spring football season because most of the FCS, if not all the FCS programs moved to the spring last year, whereas the FBS played in the fall. But now that the FCS has returned to the normal fall schedule, 
How do you think playing in the spring last year is going to affect the team, these teams this year, both positively and negatively? Hmm. Yeah. I mean, you know, I think we'll see some layover from injury issues in the spring, you know, players who suffered major injuries who that, you know, have extended into the fall uh, with the shortened off season. Um, you know, you'll see that affect teams. Um, you know, you might also see it could have a positive impact in terms of, you know, you had a lot of younger guys get opportunities in the spring with maybe, um, you know, players opting out or, or, you know, seniors who are preparing for the draft, not playing, what have you. I mean, obviously the FCS level, you didn't have nearly as much as that as you did at the FBS level. But, um, yeah, maybe saw, you know, younger guys get some big opportunities in spring ball. And then, um, you know, with the shortened off season, we'll potentially carry that over into this season uh, with, you know, less of a layoff to deal with. So, yeah, I mean, it'll be interesting to see how the season goes. Um, You know, have to wonder if how the coaches feel about not having a full off season to give players a chance to really, you know, fully recover and and go through the uh, off season process. You know, is football such a grind? Um, You know, we could see potentially a, a, pretty topsy-turvy FCS season in terms of, you know, different uh, teams at the top and several different national championship contenders and some upsets, Uh, you know, will be interesting to see. Maybe North Dakota State will reinstitute itself as as the cream of the crop. Of course, you know, last season with Trey Lance opting out, obviously, uh, in the spring, you know, they would have had a great chance to win yet another national championship if he had played, but instead came up short. But, you know, maybe they'll be back on top again this year. Uh, yeah, it should, should be interesting to see things getting back to normal or, you know, pretty close to normal, um, as close as you can be with still in the midst of a pandemic um, in FCS football. And now we'll just look at – the upcoming college football weekend. Uh, Illinois gets the University of Texas, San Antonio at home this weekend. So I don't, I don't like to say any game is an easy game, but if Illinois is to win, if Illinois were to win a non-conference game, that was the game they're going to win. So it looks like they should be getting off to a two-zero start, which would be good for program. You have Northwestern getting Michigan State this weekend, and that's going to be the team to me that's going to be the most intriguing team to watch in the Chicago area is Northwestern, mainly because they're coming off of a conference or a division, not a conference championship, but a division championship last year before losing in the Big Ten championship game. Then they go out and lose so much talent, whether it was just due to graduate, the NFL draft itself, that they're going to have so many pieces to replace. But you also have a Michigan State team who has really underachieved the last couple of years despite always having a very good recruiting class. So it's going to be interesting to see what Mel Tucker's team looks like this year. And then you have the ninth-ranked Notre Dame fighting Irish who opened the season up at Florida State. And say what you want about the Seminoles and their struggles in recent years. Playing at Florida State is never – task for anybody especially a primetime game like it's going to be on saturday so or on sunday so let's just talk about this week in the college football and what do you think is going to happen between notre dame northwestern and illinois this weekend yeah i mean first of all just great to see you know a, a normal week one i mean obviously last year around this time college football it was like mayhem utter mayhem is is different conferences starting at different times and conferences scrambling to restart the season after canceling the season so obviously great to just you know be able to have real college football true college football season returns so really excited for that and especially excited to see a full big 10 slate this year after we didn't get that last year um yeah as far as illinois should i to follow up their win over nebraska with a more comfortable home win over utsa 
there is actually a chance that I, I believe there's a chance, you know, he hasn't been ruled out yet. Peters, that is, there's a, maybe a chance he could start at quarterback or we could see uh, Sikowski start uh, and, and, you know, get more playing time, follow up on his good performance against Nebraska. Uh, that would probably be the wise decision, not force Peters to give it a go against the team. The fighting line I shouldn't have trouble beating. Uh, and then also, yeah, like you said, um, Northwestern getting going here with a Friday night game at home against Michigan State. Um, yeah, certainly will be interesting to see what they do this year after obviously they had a, a really good season last year and made some noise um, in the Big Ten. Uh, you know, Hunter Johnson. Um, actually, you have some some South Carolina, the state of South Carolina connections there, you know, with Hunter Johnson, a former Clemson quarterback, um, in, in place as the starter. And then backing him up is former South Carolina Gamecock, Ryan Holinsky. So, um, yeah, I got, got some uh, South Carolina ties there at the quarterback position. Um, yeah, I mean, Northwest – I'm not sure if they'll be as good as they were last year um, and, and make as much noise as they did in the Big Ten in 2020, but should still expect to be competitive this year and should look to start off with a home win over Michigan State. And, um, yeah, and speaking of the South Carolina ties, you know, you got Eastern Illinois heading to Columbia to take on the Gamecocks um, in, the, in South Carolina's season opener. And, you know, the Gamecocks starting Zeb Noland, a, who is recently a grad assistant and stepped in as a, as a starting quarterback in the wake of uh, Luke Doty suffering an injury. So was just a grad assistant, you know, a few weeks ago. Now um, back in action as a, as a quarterback was at North Dakota State, a team I just mentioned prior to the Gamecocks and prior to that was at Iowa state, but yeah, so interesting story there. We'll see how he does against the Panthers this weekend. Uh, the Eastern Illinois Panthers that is. Um, and yeah, I mean, you know, and then I guess the team, our audience will be really focused on getting their season going will be the fighting, fighting Irish and the big matchup they have at Florida state here to open the season of the Sunday night game uh, in prime time. And um, yeah, we'll see how Jack Cohn does as the starter there. Obviously I know you're accustomed to watching him from his Wisconsin days and uh, yeah, a de facto ACC matchup there between Notre Dame and Florida state, obviously Notre Dame, not officially in the ACC in football, but certainly uh used to playing ACC teams, especially after they were technically a member of the ACC last year, but back to being independent. And, um, yeah, that'll be a fun matchup to watch uh, on Sunday. And the last thing I'm going to touch on for college football here, it's actually a Wisconsin Badger topic, but it does tie into you being from Clemson. Um, the Wisconsin Badgers have named their starting running back for this weekend's game against Penn State, and it's Ches Malusi. Yeah. Um, I was actually surprised by the move, especially when you when they had a freshman Jalen Berger as the starting running back last year, and he showed a lot of promise last year in the games that he saw. And then the Badgers brought in Braylon Allen, who. I saw personally last year playing Fond du Lac because Fond du Lac's about 40 minutes from where I live. And Braylon Allen is a six foot two, 240 pound battering ram of a running back who is basically a carbon copy of Derrick Henry, who has a five, he runs a four, four, eight, 40 at 240 pounds. And when he gets going, he's like a runaway freight train. So to see Malusi get named the starter, I was kind of shocked. I don't know much about him because I've never actually seen him play. So I know I do have, I know we have listeners that are from Wisconsin. So do you want to just kind of fill them in and what Malusi brings to the table, considering how he was at Clemson? Yeah. I mean, he's certainly talented, you know, even as a guy who watched 
uh, who watches it, who watches every Clemson game. I don't have a lot of, um, I haven't gotten too many chances to see what he's capable of either, just because, you know, he was stuck behind uh, Travis Etienne and, and Lynn J. Dixon um, in recent seasons. But yeah, I mean, you know, he's gotten a chance to, he got, got a chance to play in blowouts and garbage time and also, you know, make an impact in some, uh, you know, more important spots and in, in games and certainly talented um, athletic guy can make an impact out of the backfield. Um, you know, pretty good downhill runner, strong guy, pretty good in goal line situations. Um, yeah. I mean, you know, certainly impressed in the playing time he did receive. Uh, but, you know, now this will be a whole nother ball game with him being the starter for, um, you know, a Big Ten team and going up against bruising defenses week after week and, you know, getting a lot of carries. So, um, yeah, I mean, you know, it really speaks volumes to his potential that he was able to win that starting job because, like you alluded to, was – uh, certainly a hard, a difficult starting job to win. To win. Um, yeah, and I mean, you know, he, he's just a guy who is stuck behind, you know, players more talented in their careers than he was when he was at Clemson. So now we'll see what he's capable of uh, with a fresh start at Wisconsin. And now we'll switch over to the NBA where – the Laurie Markkinen saga has finally come to an end as the Bulls do complete the sign-in trade for him. They signed him to a four-year, $68 million contract and then decided to flip him to the Cleveland Cavaliers. So Cleveland Cavaliers are getting a nice piece in Markkinen. He is still 24 going on 25 years of age, so he's got – a lot of time left to kind of perfect and develop his NBA game. In return, the Bulls are getting a second-round pick from Cleveland, but there was also a third team mixed in with that deal in the Portland Trailblazers, and the Bulls are going to be getting a protected first-round pick from Portland, which was critical in the marketing deal when you look at how many first-round picks the Bulls gave away this offseason to get Lonzo Ball and DeMar DeRozan, and even going back to last year and getting Vucevic, you knew they needed to get a first-round pick back in that organization somehow, which getting one back from Portland was definitely a step in the positive direction. Then they also go and get an intriguing piece in Derek Jones Jr. And for those of you who do not know who Derek Jones Jr. is, uh, the Bulls actually had him on their radar last offseason to kind of come in and fill a bench role. He's a wing guard and one of the best perimeter defenders in the league and he's going to be giving the Bulls a very interesting look off the bench and if you can pair him with Zach Levine it's going to be showtime in Chicago on fast breaks because Zach Levine and Derek Jones Jr. are probably two of the best if not the best dunkers in transition so that's certainly going to be something for Bulls going back to the marketing side of it Markkinen wanted a fresh start in Chicago because he felt he wasn't going to play enough in Chicago with Vucevic. But now you look at going to Cleveland, he's going to be sitting behind Jarrett Allen, who's going to be the team center. And then Cleveland drafted another power forward in the third with the third pick this year. So Markkinen's going to be sitting in a similar situation in Cleveland as he was. But how do you grade this trade uh, This trade in terms of what the Bulls got in the trade and just overall trade itself? Like, Do you think the Bulls won the deal? Do you think they could have did better? Uh, um, they probably, yeah, they probably could have gotten a little more. But it's a bummer to see marketing go, but I guess at the end of the day, that's what he wanted. He didn't really see it on – you know, coming back to the Bulls, like you said, uh, you know, playing and having Busevich cut into his playing time. But, you know, Derek Jones Jr. is a great athlete. Um, you know, he's won a dunk contest. 
you know, he will be a good presence to have off the bench. But yeah, it's just a bummer to see marketing go. And like you said, I mean, now he'll have to, you know, compete for playing time um, in Cleveland. So, uh, you know, maybe more of the same for him there. But yeah, I mean, overall, pretty good. You know, a pretty good haul for the for the Bulls. I mean, you know, nothing too spectacular, but yeah, I would say a pretty good um, return for Markin in there. I just would have liked to have seen things work out for him to come back, but um, I guess at the end of the day, it's not what he wanted. So Bulls really had no choice but to trade him. And we still know the Bulls need a lot more front court depth as they still have one of the smallest rosters in the league right now. And outside of Vucevic and Tony Bradley, they don't have anybody that stands over six foot nine outside of Simonovic. And we don't know how much Simonovic is going to play this year. So the bulls are definitely in the market for some post and interior help. And if you look at reports by Mark Stein and some of the, NBA reporters at ESPN. The Bulls are one of four teams that are interested in Paul Millsap, and right now the Bulls look to be the front runner to get Millsap. But they're also one of the players to try to get DeMarcus Cousins as well. I think both of those players fit, obviously, the hole that the Bulls need to fill at this point. I think Cousins brings more to the table from an offensive side of things. But I think Millsap is a better fit because he's pretty much going to do the same things that Thaddeus Young did with this team the last couple of years. So out of those two, Bulls get Millsap. Would you rather see them get Cousins? Or would you like them both to come to Chicago if they can find a way to get both? Yeah, both would be nice. Uh, but, yeah, I, I really like Paul Millsap. You know, of course, he's up there in age, but I think he still has a lot to bring to the table. Um, you know, he hasn't dealt with the injury issues that Cousins has dealt with in recent years. So I, I would probably prefer Millsap. Um, you know, he's a versatile player, big guy who can really rebound, but can also shoot from outside as well. You know, for Cousins, I mean, if he's able to stay healthy, he could potentially, you know, I, I'm sure he's his best days are behind him, but he could still get back to being a, a really solid big man, um, you know, and, and potentially a starter for, uh, you know, a variety of different teams he could potentially start for, um, you know, if he gets back to what he was prior to tearing his Achilles when he was with the Pelicans. But, yeah, Millsap, I think, would be a great addition. You know, he's uh, a great, I can imagine, a great team leader, a guy with a great reputation as well and um, recently helped, you know, turn the Nuggets into a serious contender in the West. So, yeah, I, I would like to see – I'd really like to see both guys come aboard, but certainly love for the Bulls to add Paul Millsap, especially since, you know, I mean, like what Thaddeus Young was able to bring to the Bulls and, you know, his, his Bulls tenure is now done. But, um, you know, Millsap could, could replicate that leadership but also – be more impactful on the court. So, uh, yeah, that would be good to see. And not much going on with the Chicago Blackhawks right now. Uh, Connor Murphy did sign a very nice four-year extension for, I think, an average annual salary of $4.4 million. So that's another young piece to the puzzle returning for Chicago. You had the Chicago Fire finally pick up a road win this weekend against the New York Red Bulls as Robert Barrich ended a 14-game goalless streak with his, I think, third or fourth goal of the season, which he's the one player that we've talked about the last couple of weeks that really needs to start getting things going for the fire. And maybe that goal at New York will not only get him going, but maybe it'll get the Chicago Fire going because we've said how hard it's been for this team to win on the road and New York Red Bull are a very good team, especially when it comes to beating them at Red Bull Arena. That could be a season-changing win for the Fire, especially if they can start playing with the confidence they showed at New York. Yeah, and I mean they're competing for a playoff spot against you know the Red Bulls, um, so that that's a good win to get on the road. And you look at the stats for that game. I mean the Red Bulls really uh, 
arguably should have won, but, you know, or, or at least outperformed the fire in a variety of different categories. But, hey, I mean, you know, the fire, kudos to them for holding on to the lead. Uh, you know, Barrett scored in the 32nd minute, and they held on to that 1-0 advantage the rest of the way. So good on them for getting a, a win on the road. And you want to add anything about the Chicago Sky before we sign off for the day? Yeah, and yeah. Speaking of you know wins on the road, uh, the Sky really turned things around after losing two in a row at home and won three straight on the road. Uh, yeah, beat the Dream eighty six seventy nine, and then beat the Storm back to back. So they now won. Um, you know, they recently beat the Storm at home uh and and then have now won two more against the storm on the road 173 69 and then won 107 75 in a blowout so great bounce back uh three game stretch for this guy and they still have two more games on this five game road trip um against at the mercury and then at the aces before they return home to take on the aces so yeah, they'll, they'll look to keep things going, uh, this winning streak going here on this West Coast. Of beating the corner and back-to-back games. All right, and that's all the time Cole and I have for you today. Uh, we'll be back next week as always, and take care, Cole, and have a great Labor Day weekend. All right, man, thanks. You too. Talk to you soon.